Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Hoovering, the podcast about eating. I'm Jessica Fosterkew. I love eating as much as anything else in the world, but also it sometimes brings me conflict, shame and all sorts of other things that are rubbish. It's complicated and I think fascinating. This is a conversation with an interesting soul, not just about food, but about gobbling it up, or if you will, hoovering. Hello then. This week, I'm hoovering with the extraordinary actor, artist and author, Katie Wicks. She's written a book called Delicacy, a memoir about cake and death, uh, which blew the absolute socks off my heart, if I'm honest. Very funny and so sad. You will understand when you read the book why we didn't eat cake for the podcast. Just a boring sandwich. Thanks, first of all, for listening to Hoovering, though. Um, if you could tell other people about it, I'd be very grateful. One way to do that is to give it a five-star review and subscribe to it. That saves you farting about downloading it each week. And you wouldn't want to miss one, would you? If you want to support the podcast financially, only if you're able, that is an option. You could do a one-off like Fiverr or something by going on to Acast Supporter, or you can become a patron where you can swap a monthly amount from as little as two quid a month in exchange for podcast-related cool stuff like guest recipes and right up to free tickets to live shows and totally exclusive content and a little bit of power over me too. If you're based in or around London and you want to try Oddbox, which is where I get all my wonky uh, supermarket-rejected often absolutely nothing wrong with it, fruit and veg from, um, then you can get a tenner off your first box by using a link that's in my podcast notes or in the bio on the, um, at the Hoovering Pod on Twitter. It makes it only a few quid for a box, so you might as well give it a whirl. Um, also links to the Patreon and Acast, all in the podcast notes, including links to everything interesting we're about to talk about. Katie and me hoovered over Zoom. She's mid-filming something very funny. <laughs> uh, and we both had a boring sandwich, which secretly wasn't that boring mine kept me interested purely on account of how chewy my bread was if anything anyway be warned there is a warning um we do talk in detail at at a few points about disordered eating um in case that's something you need to avoid you have been warned um yeah you'll hear my ramblings at the top of the podcast but i love katie and fucking hell i really loved her book too it wasn't genuine honour to get an early read of it and I can't imagine you li- anyone listening to this and not being not snapping it up okay let's go thank you very much for doing this no um, thank you and I Who feel very honoured to have had a sneak read of your book I finished it this morning um I'm a very slow reader so um, same. oh I don't know how to just I just want to blow smoke up your ass really for an hour I'm very moved I haven't can't remember I, I feel like we've just, I mean, I don't know whenever anyone's listening to this, but we've just had a very long pandemic and I've, I've not not cried in the last year, but I feel like I've got more, 
I got more emotional catharsis from reading your book. I just, mm. I haven't wept like that in so long. But there was never, but no, but I've, but there were never, there was never not relief as well. I haven't laughed like that either. You know, it's been so long, not only since I've cried like that, which is in a, in a way a gift, if because I quite often know I've got a lot of cry in the tank, but it's not, <laughs> it's not willing. Um, so but you then find the right valve sometimes to to let it out don't you absolutely yeah and and then and then to on top of that be never not regularly brought out of it into like a massive honking laugh um i read it i've i've been trying to read at bedtime again again i just feel like i haven't done that for ages and um so i'd have like my girlfriend asleep beside me and often a cat asleep on me and it's (laughs) Been, I've been really aware of like what a physical reaction I've had to your books. I'll even be like, <laughs> or like, <laughs> like crack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's amazing. And um, oh, that's and, so great uh, to hear. It's like I don't know, when someone, um, I was going to say, when someone says the correct thing, when someone has the correct response, <laughs> or it's, or when someone really understands it, it's such a great feeling. It's the feeling of being sort of understood and. You know, someone understanding the the intention behind it and getting it, and so yeah. that's really nice to hear. And I want to talk about it a lot, but without too many spoilers. And I suppose actually, because this is a podcast about eating, I'll, we'll kind of go in on those angles. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so it's 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 sort of hung together over the theme on the theme of cake, um, but lit you link cake to various traumas. <laughs> Yeah, in a way that's hilarious and affecting all at once. Yeah, it's funny because like I can't remember who it was. Someone said something like, um, "Oh, you know, it really makes me want to go out and eat cake." And I, and I thought, yeah, it's it's interesting because for me it was like it was kind of like a, a scaffolding. Yeah, into the structure um, because every chapter is kind of named after a cake, but then really quickly it. Um, it sort of forgets about the theme and goes somewhere else. So there were there were times where it was a real pain to have to keep bringing it back to that. <laughs> yeah. And there were times when it like the link was quite tenuous, and I had to kind of tweak things, um, so that to make sure that it fitted in with this theme I'd set up. Yeah. But also the opposite of that happened a lot of times. Weirdly, where I'd start to write about something, and then suddenly some bizarre detail about a cake would appear as if it was already somehow sewn into my life. Yeah. <clears throat> because this is a very feminized object and yeah. anyway. Um, but also like what I really wanted to set up at the beginning was that, I, that it was kind of anti-cake because, because it is this sort of stupid domestic frilly thing that, that I wanted it to be. I kind of wanted the, the pain to be so in contrast with this this kind of object which suggests kind of uh, femininity and and domestic bliss and sweetness. And um, so I was always trying to push against like the theme of cake because I didn't want people to think it was just this kind of um, sort of silly. Yeah, it's not wrong. silly. I don't think it, <laughs> I, I don't think it feels silly at any point, actually, the cake stuff, because, I mean, it feels like the perfect um well, I think everyone's going to bring their own baggage to any uh, anything they read at any point. But like for me, I was like, I never found the cake stuff silly. I felt like the cake encapsulated everything that can be complicated about eating ever in the sense yeah. that you've got, you know, all that. I mean, I love the way you talked about women's food and men's food and how early oh, as a yeah. child you get that concept of that. And I want to talk more about that. But but also just, you know, cake is so representative of everything, isn't it? It's sort of family, home, all yeah. that uh, I, uh, over-idealisation of those concepts. And then, you know, it also becomes uh, danger and shame and numbing. And then and then later, you know, you come back to it as a thing of just sharing love, actually, just a way of showing and sharing love and, and freeing. Like, like ritual. There's so much yeah. ritual around cake, isn't there? Yeah, and then... <clears throat> I think, yeah, I don't think this gives anything away, but there's a point where, um, and again, it was a really strange coincidence where I was going to visit my mum in the hospice and the the place was being kind of investigated because they were giving their patients too much cake. <laughs> and someone came in and sort of said, you can't do this. They need, you know, they need a nutritional plan. And the nurses really sweetly were like, 
no one gives a shit about you know they're like in their yeah. 80s they want they want like a cup of tea and someone to sort of go there you go eric you got your slice of cake there and it's like normality i think i said that in the book i can't remember but it, yeah it, it's because they're they're such horrible places not horrible they're just such difficult places like yes putting your parent in a home and then them trying to make it as much as you know like a home as possible so things like you know the objects in their room and this collection of funny little objects and tea and cake all of that it became really really important and and also a really grim way it felt like my mum, like towards the end, she had really difficulty uh, eating certain textures. Right. So things like, you know, cake that I'd sort of squish into tea. <laughs> you could only eat certain things. So it's it's mm. it's amazing how actually important it became. It became a really big part of our, our day was what time we'd eat cake. So you're right. It's like it starts off as a, your first birthday cake and it's like hurrah. And then it ends with that. So... Yeah, yeah, the cakes themselves have gone on a real a real journey along. <laughs> they, the way. Have, they have. And I do feel a bit sick of them. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I really do. Yeah. Um yeah, it's really it's almost like the the dark side of this sugary treat. There's there's way I kept thinking of it that it's yeah. this temptation but also just so much shame, and guilt and pain and Yeah. Yeah, yeah so and and also this like forbidden object and of yeah. course like and I guess that's one of the central arguments of why diets are so shit, that you're setting up such a horrible cycle of deprivation and overeating. The minute you sort of say, right, this food is off bounds, this like tempting yeah. looking cake. And then, yeah, the whole the whole sort of... It is exactly. I feel like cake is the kind of object, object version of it, the edible version of don't press the red button, isn't it? You've made this thing look the most tempting it's possible to make it look and then gone, yeah. now choose to never want that or <laughs> yeah. want it even better want it but don't yeah. have it like it doesn't make any fucking sense it's torture so it's often, like, yeah madness. i don't know anything i mean there was a point where it's really funny because this book started off as maybe something else and at right. the beginning and weirdly now i think about it i think it was sort of a way of avoiding being too vulnerable because at the beginning i sort of thought i'm going to do loads of research and this is going to be a book with lots of facts in it and it's going to be <sighs> You know, I'm going to hide and not yeah. write so much about myself and I'm going to research about the history of cakes and then I'm going to have a whole sort of thing about, you know, some really boring thing like the history of South Wales or something. And then I realised really <laughs> early on that's, that was, that's you know, no one wants to read that. I don't even want to write that. So the more I was opening up emotionally, the more I was like, it doesn't matter about, that I don't know, you know, it doesn't matter that I don't know what this cake's called. What matters is like, you know, what I'm writing about. So... There was a point where I started to look at the history of cakes and then just found it boring. But yeah. they are like these slightly useless objects, aren't they? That are just yeah. sort of there, that are highly decorated, that are in the corner of the room when a celebration's happening. Like, it's a weird, it's like a weird idea. If yeah. I think about it. I'm going to have a bite of my sandwich. Yes, please. And then I'd love to know what's in it. So... Let me show you the packaging. Mmm. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to show me something so swanky. And it's just a brown cardboard box with a big black Marker sharpie pen. written. Tuna. Can I tell you the, the history of it? <laughs> and is it just plain tuna? The, the provenance. So, um, <laughs> provenance. So I was, I was I'm filming at the moment. And we, we finished really late last night, so that's why I'm also really inarticulate. But um, I I suddenly thought, oh, God, I haven't got any food in the, in the house. And then just as I was leaving, like, some of the caterers put these sandwiches out with different things written on them. So I, like, grabbed three and shoved them nice. in my bag. So they're, from, they're actually from the set of ghosts, these sandwiches. Amazing. So that's a, that's a, bit, of a bit of a scoop. Um. I don't know why it's made me think... Well, I do know why it's made me think of it. I recently had a job, and on the way out to get the taxi home, it was just like a one-day thing, um, there were bags of crisps everywhere, and I, I just sort of scooped up three. But I, I sort of been so long since I'd socialised. We all got tested before we got there, obviously. And then I just sort of grabbed these three or four bags of crisps. And I was still talking to the other comedians there, and they were like, what are you, what are you doing with all them? I was like... Um. <laughs> 
I'm probably going to pop them in my bag. It's <laughs> yeah. embarrassing. So in the green room, yeah, yeah I'm going to shift all of that, take it home. <laughs> shift all of that? Yeah. Well, this was my thinking. I thought, you know, this is this is the perfect opportunity and yeah. such as such as the hours of filming that you can't even think about when you're going to go out and shop like a normal person. No, it's so strange, isn't it? Um, I've made a sandwich. I've tried to recreate my favourite M&S sandwich, which was, uh, it's like ham, cheese, salad and pickle and mayonnaise. Oh, wow. And I've never made it as... Well, for one, I haven't got the normal bread. I've only got wanker sourdough. Um, And I don't eat meat, but I've got pretend pastrami in it. Oh, wow. And some basil and all the other things. How long have you not not eaten meat for? I do very sometimes, occasionally, occasionally eat meat. Like, if I go to a swanky restaurant, I'm going to go for it. If I go to another country, I'm going to go for it. Um... Yeah. But about three and a half years. Are you I'm vegan? very patchy. No. Yeah. I flirted with it. Yeah, I'm doors. patchy. It's funny, like when I was about, um, I think I would have been about 13 and I sort of begged my mum to let me become vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> that was before veganism was popular. Like that was seen as like the lunatic fringe in sort yeah. of the 90s. But vegetarianism was, you know, I went to the body shop. I was sort of... <laughs> Yeah, it was like I don't know. It just seemed like a very logical next step for me to be vegetarian, and um, and I wasn't allowed. But then I then I when I was fifteen, I was, and I became really ill. Oh no! And I looking back, I mean, it's a really hazy memory, but I, I suspect what happened is I just didn't know, you know, how you're meant to eat. Mm. You know, like my parents were not foodie in any way. They didn't really cook. Like my dad just ate like egg and chips his entire life. Yeah. Um, so I think I just ate cornflakes for like a year. Yeah. And then I got really, really ill and I, I had sort of malnutrition and I felt really oh, weak God. and I had like a ration of my body. <gasps> it's quite a sort of patchy memory, but I just remember being ill and my mum saying, oh, you have to just eat meat again. And ever since then, I've been scared to do it because yeah. I somehow think, and that's not me in any way saying that you can't, you know, do it and be perfectly healthy. I mean, I'm sure that you, like, like 80% of people I now know don't really are, like, flirting with veganism or a full vegans. But um, yeah. I, I do it, like, half the year and then I get scared and then I eat some protein. Yeah, so I don't know if there was a way <laughs> for me enough. to do it, and I'm like gearing up to it. I'm getting ready because I accept that everyone at some point will have to. <laughs> I'm sort of hoping that doesn't happen in our lifetime, though. Like if we get lab meat and then we're all fine. Yeah, delicious, yeah. delicious lab meat. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, I can't wait. I, I, can't, I don't think I'll ever be if I have the option completely vegan because it felt like too much of an absolute rule. Um, especially after you sort of free yourself from diet life. That's interesting. Uh, but because the motivation's different, that was always my thinking, that because it wasn't about aesthetics, although yeah. I guess like orthorexia could so quickly become about aesthetics if you're not careful, but... Yes. I'm able to see it in such a sort of, um, you know, spiritual, responsible, ecological way. Totally, yeah. I, it was, yeah. It doesn't Environmentally my... motivated. But mm. it just led to exactly that, like... Um, just uh, too much of my life was spent thinking about and planning and controlling what I was going to eat. Like I just started over caring about it all over yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think there a lot of the time that people do go vegan, that one of their reasons for it is to change their aesthetic either way. Yeah. Um, I still think people who commit to it for life, are extraordinary and thank you for your hard work. Hopefully, it means <laughs> in advance. Thanks <laughs> to me in advance for thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, one of my best friends. We just went on holiday. Well, before the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. Um, we went to Italy, and they. Uh, it was really hard for them to find anything vegan to eat, and I, mm. I really got to see up close. You know the the sort of commitment it takes, like on the aeroplane they fucked it up and they didn't have his meal and then it was really funny because we were in Venice which is obviously extraordinary and 
and I always wanted to go. It was so beautiful, but I guess like it was, I didn't appreciate, it's quite touristy now, I guess, the, the bit yeah. we were saying. I think all the local people have had to sort of move on to the mainland because it's so expensive, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was really funny. So we'd spent, he'd spent ages Googling, oh, I found a place that, you know, is a vegan restaurant. And then we'd walk there for maybe half an hour and it would be some shelves in the back of the shop that just had like some vegan products on them and us having thought it was like a full on vegan restaurant. And at the end of the trip, I sort of said, the problem is, is that every, every vegan place we've ate, we, we've eaten in none of, they've all just been stools. And I just would love to go somewhere with like a proper chair. Yeah. So it's hard to find <laughs> a place that does amazing vegan food, but isn't a stool in my yeah. experience. That's like yeah, really it's posh and you can sit down and, you know, enjoy the the atmosphere so especially that, in Italy Good that was luck. that was fair he sort of got laughed at when when we sort of said if you got me vegan food it's <laughs> the old Italian men laughing at us like, <laughs> what are you what are you kids on about now um so that was that was fun but yeah the stu- the air stewardesses were quite cross with him for not for being vegan that was quite funny oh god I won't say which airline but anyway <laughs> I have a committee of sort of older, horrible white men that sit on yeah. my shoulder telling me <laughs> I can't, that I'm thick all the time. From like my grandfather to, you know, just they're all, it's horrible. Yeah, there's it's, a grandfather that doesn't come out well in the book. Yeah, just older <laughs> men in authority. Like even now I shut yeah. down. I really shut down with them. Yeah. Well, good. Good for you. That feels like no, a maturity like I, thing. I don't want, like, I don't mean to. It's like I'm re-traumatised oh. and I go really quiet. Oh. Um, yeah, even now, it's 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 unbelievable how ingrained this, how we're all kind of s- skipping around with this inner child in charge most of the time. Oh, so. 100%. I mean, it, even with, well, there's a grandfather in it that that's, does some stuff which... Um, says some things to you when you were a child that it's so brutal in the book and I um, have a different but different experience but with some similarities confusion I would say yeah from one grandparent in particular who and funny enough it was often cake or homemade jam but it would be like once she actually said out loud to her husband um, oh, you're looking so fat you're looking disgustingly fat and then within the same breath said who is her, like another piece of cake? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, it's a very, very confusing sort of mixture of um, a whole side of my family who are very much like feeders. Yeah. And, but simultaneously really full of quite visceral hatred for fat people. Um, well, and so very disappointed. I'm so sorry to have that one in the family. Well, horrendous. no, and the same for you, but I'd love to talk about um eating growing up i suppose or at least touch on it um you say some incredibly poetic things in the book um can i be wanker enough to quote a bit no god no i'd love that you said um my mother's hope for me was that i would always be happy and thin and my hope for her was that she would never leave me (laughs) 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 which is like heartbreaking and laughing all at once which is amazing it's so funny Um, to hear it back it's like it feels so outrageous to say to be so authoritative it's so funny because I can't imagine saying that in real life (laughs) to anyone in a conversation of course (laughs) but again I think that's what happens when you're on your own just writing you you just you know you you like ideally reach a point where you're so unselfconscious that's that's probably the good stuff but it's just funny to hear it back i can't i you know it, yeah like i'm so well, in shock of hearing it back sorry sorry <laughs> yeah, oh it's true. No, it's true. No, well i meant like, it as an in to asking about like like diets culture invading yeah. your home from early on from childhood well, even. yeah it's funny because that like i think the reason why i said her hopes for me is because like looking back, I have had to, um, well, without without giving it away, it's hard. It's it's doubly difficult to talk about my mother because she's no longer alive, and it's still yeah. quite recent. So I definitely am still battling with the guilt of um, talking about someone who you know can't tell their side of the story. 
but, but I, there's so much I took out. I, I think that I've um, managed to show them as, you know, flawed human people, but also it being a kind of love letter to, to them at the same time. And yeah, in fact, I had a sort of panic, I think, really close to publication where it, one of her old friends texted me and said something like, oh, I've pre-ordered your book. And I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I just didn't, I just don't think, I just didn't think about, you know, people actually reading it. <laughs> and at this, I was battling with the kind of artistic sensibility of like, this is, no one's going to mess with my art. To like, oh, fuck, I've got to take that bit out because she'll, you know, like, yeah, Doris will get upset. So, um, but anyway, aside from that, but yeah, I think there, there is definitely, I've had to work through a certain amount of, of anger towards yes. the fact that I was put on diets from such a young age and that, and that I had to kind of find my way out of this kind of cult-like thinking almost. And it's taken years and years and years. And only now that I'm kind of like 80% recovered from all that, I do get very angry about it. Um, but I also see like that my mother was sort of doing her best and that's how she was, she was raised, that her father was a pretty kind of horrible misogynistic old man and sorry I came back to why I used the word hope was because I really think that she was trying to save me from a life of having a different body and being yeah. bullied and picked on so I think it was her way she it was out of misguided love that she was sort of completely yeah I think and you talk you know on a positive note you talk about the really positive impacts of that Fat as a feminist issue book, which is mm. the be the very beginning of my recovery from lots of disordered oh, eating as well. I, I love think it's it. A I love book. when I meet people that have read it. And Great. it's um, I read it on um, years ago. My first therapist gave it to me. <laughs> I read it on trains, but at the time it had like neon writing, and it said very small writing, fat as a feminist issue, and then in very big writing, overeaters self help guide. <laughs> like and I sort of remember reading it on a train with my hands off over the covers. But yeah, I, I know that down, really, really embarrassing. Cover. Oh my god, I've got a library of books I have to cover up with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing a book in my mum's office at work once called Rivers of Hope, Bridges of Pain. Um, <laughs> I used to have one that was, that was the worst. something like end, end the loneliness in your heart or something. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, I, yeah, if we ever do like a really embarrassing book, we should just call it Big, really big fun book for clever people. So it's really easy to hold up on a train. It'd be fun to be back yeah, on trains. Yeah. Um, sorry, I digress. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think they, I think one of the points Susie Allback makes in that book really beautifully because I I chatted with a friend again this morning who's the only other person I knew before you who'd read it um, or knew well enough to have a really open conversation, and she said one of her favourite things she took from it was that our mothers often if they put us on diets or if they give us the belief that as you put it in the book you're thinking almost of thinness as money as power yeah then it does come from a place of love almost always yeah. they want to protect us from what they would see as yeah. oh a cruel world yeah. and a whole society that perceives bigness as failure for women, yeah. especially, and, and and often some self-projection, like some talking to themselves via talking to us. I yeah, I love that, that stuff she says about that we get from our mothers, like a really ambivalent message about what it is to be a woman and how we should treat having needs. I think yeah. she, she sort of says that it's like this information is passed on that... Um, that I sort of want the best for you, but at the same time, your social position is is this. It's to be the giver and to sort of ignore your own needs and put others before you. And um, it, yeah, that there's this very particular, very sort of narrow aesthetic. And that's that's what being a successful woman looks like. But also my mother, I think also the message of because my mother had such a had a really bad relationship with her body and food, it was like the the sort of um it was very hard to 
in some ways she raised me to be very sort of confident but at the same time that's almost impossible when someone is acting themselves in a completely opposite way yeah to see them so upset and having such a destructive relationship with their body and food it's like it, it was sort of you know unconsciously the messages were completely different from what she was saying that it would have been it would have been impossible not to um take on those things and also i think yeah. about like we were talking about granda and what you and what that woman said to you but what really breaks my heart as well is like how i took these things so literally as well when i was yeah. as a child because that's just the way i was it was like i would i would absorb these messages and it would feel very sort of intense and i would and uh that that kind of breaks my heart that there was no I wasn't exposed to any sort of counter argument or anything because it wasn't like I had a like a feminist upbringing. So it was all, you know, I didn't really know about it till I sort of was about 18 that it's even it was even a thing. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even the evolution of sort of out feminism, even since that Fat as a Feminist Issue book, actually, uh, for me, I, I feel like I had a similar experience in the sense that it was a very much an awakening to intuitive eating. Yeah. And... Um, it took me still years after reading it to stop sort of restricting and binging. Yeah. But I, and I found it fascinating that the one very dear friend I have who'd also read it, who was the one I re-spoke to again this morning about it to get her, what she'd taken from the book, took a very different message from that book. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I mean, she took the same essential golden nuggets yeah. of... of you know, that, that cycles of restricting and binging are addictive and pointless and fruitless and heartbreaking and you're sort of perpetuating the sense of failure and I she also took all sorts of stuff for her own reasons about her mother from it I took from it a message though also of and this is the bit that I've taken from the book and then had to shed although not completely is the idea I thought they said a sort of saying that if you are eating beyond fullness you are Trying to, you are knowingly making yourself fat as an excuse for failure. I felt like that was a message in the book, and I—that's the one bit that I think since I've had, I've had to do some work to unlearn because it's just—it's too fat phobic that as a message. There's so much gold in it, but it's like it's like even with any therapist actually. 
they'll they'll give you this 90% blanket of helpfulness <laughs> and then there'll be this there'll be this yeah, one thing that they say that's not that helpful actually and then that's the bit you fucking remember forever um, yeah but- god no there's so much i mean there's about three four different thoughts going through my head at once because yeah on the one hand when i i reread it recently yeah because I'm hoping, I'm hoping I might get to interview her at some point. But <gasps> it's not official yet, but I might. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get her to talk to me anyway. So I was rereading it. And and I also, re- I also recently read a book by Aubrey Gordon mm-hmm. called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. I think it's called that. And it's about yeah. fat bias. And it, yeah, it's like really. I um, love her. Oh, she's amazing. And I She does a maintenance face yes. podcast. God, I love yes. that. So when I but when I reread the Susie Orbeck thing, I thought there's there isn't a clear distinction between either saying you can choose to be fat and that's great. Yes. You can. But I think she's so careful to say this is if you have a problem with eating. And there are lots yeah, of people that are fat who don't have a problem with eating. Because yeah. there's so many different reasons for fatness. It has very yeah. little to do with you know, all the myths around fatness are completely fat phobic. And if you choose to be fat, that's great. If you're fat and that's the way you're meant to be, you don't, it's like, I feel like the, the message I take from it as in, yeah, what was missing in a way was the updating on fat politics. hundred percent. I think it's, I, I still feel like I don't want to, I'm not reading the book because without it, I would yeah. never have begun to be, to realise you could actually be happy now and not be spending your whole life fundamentally waiting to be happy at some elusive time when you're thin, even though there were patches of thinness that I wasn't yeah. any happier in. And it sounds like a similar experience. Like, you know, well, I don't know. But I also know that, that context. For me, it's so true that I used weight as a way to, block intimacy and as a way to put my life on hold like it's absolutely true for me but as Aubrey Gordon says like you could she eats incredibly well and healthily and eats intuitively and she's she's just meant to be bigger and yeah definitely definitely I think there's such a clear distinction between if you have a problem with food and you could possibly eat and you need to feel fix your relationship with food if that happens to result in weight loss as long as you feel good great but Yeah. yeah definitely agree yeah and if it doesn't also great yeah and that's the yeah. tricky bit isn't it it's so hard when well listen I'm, I can only speak from my own experience but when you've had a lifetime of and I still am unpacking it I don't know that I'll ever be fully there of not believing that thinness is money yeah that absolutely. is ultimately it would be better and to enjoy your appearance all that stuff yeah. is so fucking hard when it, in my case I'm never going to be thin unless yeah. I'm also starving in a state of in a yeah. permanent state so it's not going to happen so to, and letting go of it feels like undoing all that work to yeah. say that is going to be the end goal that's so hard it's such a grieving process to yes. give up the fantasy of what yeah of what you might be but also um oh hang on that was like a, that thought was like a mouse running across my brain and i just <laughs> went like that <laughs> and i didn't catch it oh, <laughs> but all, yeah also I was, tail. I was gonna say um Oh, fuck. What was it? <laughs> the rewards for being thin is still so great. But that's yes. what I find hard. All the sort of the way society still rewards in so many ways being thin. But also after reading Aubrey Gordon's stuff, having to realise that. Well, it's funny because I've been so many different sizes in my life. And mm. I recently got smaller because of a medical issue. I had my fucking gallbladder taken out. Oh my God. And that my really gallbladder hurts. was fucked because of years of binging and purging and abusing my mm-hmm. body. So it's like, that's the ultimate sign of like, you can't get more of a, like, how could you punish yourself? Yeah. And I took my organ out and then I couldn't really digest food and I got really small and, wow. uh, but so just quite ill yeah. And then grief, because I, because I've been intuitive eating for like eight years now, and it's so interesting because wow. I, my body, I, my set point is bigger than I am now, and I, I know that, and it was really weird to suddenly lose weight due to grief, yeah, and a medical thing, and then people were sort of complimenting me, and then I started getting readdicted to the feeling, yeah, and then I had to go back and sort of start again, yeah, because I'd fallen back. I think it happens there, but that is intuitive eating, isn't it? When you are, grief isn't, 
Heartbreak is one of the most kind of age-old appetite suppressors. Yeah. All time. You're just not hungry. And, yeah. and part of intuitive eating is, you know, not forcing you. You know, you need some fuel, but if you don't want to eat, yeah. you don't want, you've got to... Ru- and, and then I, I get it in very minute doses with big bursts of adrenaline sometimes, nerves, you know, yeah. and festivals and stuff like that. I'm just not as hungry. It's, and, you, but, and that's part of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, but that's part of the I journey. But, but I suppose, yeah, after reading Aubrey Gordon's book, what I also was thinking about was um, that it's hard because I've always felt big, because I've always been told that I'm, I was big. That, um, But also then after reading her book, understanding that she, she is a much bigger woman, feels left out of the body positivity argument and that I have so much thin privilege compared to her. Yes. So, you know, there's all of that added to it as well, that she sort of says that if she sort of talks about abuse she's suffered because of her size and someone tries to make it about her lack of self-esteem, that that's not acknowledging all the fat bias in the world, which I thought was kind of a mind-blowing thought. Really. She's extraordinary and it's yeah. spot on. Um, Sophie Hagen has a book too called Happy Fat that yeah, blew my mind. That, on that ex- yes. With that exact point where I just thought, oh, you know, I, I think I'd very selfishly been going, should I identify proudly as fat? Yeah. You know, so many more, especially stand-ups are. And then I sort of read her book and went, oh, I've got so much fucking privilege. I can shop in shops. I've never, yeah. I've never not been able to shop in shops. I've never had a problem with a, a I mean, I'm sure strangers have said things but not like sitting on planes you know all yeah. of that stuff it's, yeah. it's an extraordinary Absolutely. actually and Small I don't think and it's it. one that the world has and compared to other types of bias that pe- people all you know we know are in the world society has fuck all sympathy for yeah <laughs> um, no completely I, I really I don't think I've been bigger than like a sort of size 18 so exactly like it, it's yeah yeah, she's got this really interesting terminology in her book. I'm sure she calls it small fat. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. but it, it's, yeah, it was weird again to, but yeah, no intuitive eating was, I mean, at the beginning, I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't handle yeah. it. Like it was so liberating. And You, you talk really beautifully about, about the, the early bits of intuitive eating where you really like, and, and, and how people around you sort of, find it a bit shocking yeah. the freedom that you have absolutely and and can't can't quite believe you and it's so hard to explain to them no no this is healthy yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Is- <laughs> and now I'm it's like the best thing I've ever done I'm so glad yeah. I, I did it now I would I'd never imagined I would have and like I as similar to I think what you're saying about like almost almost feeling completely recovered but being aware that in this world it's probably is it even possible yeah to even be when it's so ingrained but I never thought I'd have um I never thought I'd have this much peace around food yeah. in my body I, ne- I could never imagine it oh I feel a bit emotional it's very <laughs> joyful it's really joyful to talk to talk to anyone who's had that experience to come to go to go through really extreme you know experiences of disordered eating and uh, and shit mental health around eating and then to to know that there is light at yeah. the end of that tunnel with the right um, guidance and um, it's got nothing to do with willpower but sometimes it has there yeah. has to be some letting in of um, a willingness to accept help which I think an extraordinary number of people find yeah. hard it's really frightening to, to let strong. go of control is so frightening yeah, yeah. Like, well, this is probably dark and maybe I don't want to I don't want to be sort of triggering but like when you said about mental health, like the times when I was under eating and starving, that there's a particular kind of depression and sort of insanity that comes with hunger that I just never want to feel again. Like it's so, mm-hmm. so scary and you yeah. can't sleep. And it it's just, it was so awful. And when I had this operation and I couldn't, I couldn't digest fat at first, and I was eating like a bird. I got, it was like the, I remembered what it was like to be that hungry. And it was, I kind of went into, it really affected me. I find it incredibly upsetting mm. to remember that level of hunger that just made me so crazy and very anxious and mm. so kind of alone and separate and cold, just really fucking cold. 
um, it it was really dark, but in some ways it really put me back on, you know, I, I wanted to get well and I wanted to, and also, which I really wanted to talk to you about because I never saw your show, which I'm really gutted about, but I've had people talk to me about it because, really? yeah, because I, um, one of the, so what, yeah, after, when I was recovering from the operation and I was just so weak and had no muscle, as soon as I was well again, I sort of very gently have been trying to kind of lift weights and it <sighs> is, it's making me feel so amazing, <laughs> but oh, I can sort of wow. see how it could, I, well, A, I see how it could become an obsession. I mm. also see how it's like, part of my brain was like, oh, I'm so I'm so happy when I'm transforming my body in any way. <laughs> like I'm still yeah. so happy that I'm doing this. And I think, oh no, what's going on? Hang on. Yeah. And then I'd sort of go on Instagram and think, oh, so now muscle is just the new being thin, right? So yeah. now it's like, oh, you can you can take up space in the world, but it can't move. It has to be like yeah. really tight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my tum. I have to really keep an eye on myself in terms of whether I'm um, exercising in a way that feels like it's addictive. On the one hand, yeah. part of me thinks I'll never have this opportunity again. Like I'm not traveling for work at the moment. Yeah. All my work is at home. My gym went online and lent us all loads of really nice weights. That's nice. So, uh, yeah. So, and now we can do it again in the car park. And I do love it. But also it's that thing of... Uh, I don't need to do more than one bit of... It got to a point where I was like, I'd like to try and do two bursts of exercise every day and then had to sort of stop and go, what are you doing? Like, it's not, you don't... Like, yeah. it's, you, it is, that is to do with not liking what you're seeing in the mirror or the fact that your body's grown over the course of lockdown. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely to do with that. And I just need to have a, a constant bit of adjustment about it. But also just as well about the kind of it absolutely muscly has become the new thin and yeah. I think that's changed even since I wrote that show um that my conversation about muscularity and femininity was born out of shocking conversations with family members and even personal trainers about what's feminine and what's not yeah. um but actually now e even in the course of the last two years it's it's so interesting to watch that kind of you know being shredded and cut and ripped yeah is a, is a, is is the new thing for women it's what instagram women's bodies are meant to be and actually the type of lifting that i fell in love with you know it doesn't really necessarily lead to that there right. might well be like a rippling six pack but it's underneath absolutely miles of of um See, i love that i approve dinner. of that you know well, me too like like it's happening it's, and you it, can't even see it yeah you've got <laughs> underneath underneath all this i have probably i even had a, a trainer once stunning yeah yeah oh, my organs are like rocky <laughs> yeah um i had i even had a trainer when i was doing some like leg press things that he'd instructed me to do squeeze my thigh and go yeah they're at that they are really strong under all that <laughs> that's like the, it's that's the thing isn't i it? don't like, want that i yeah, and I still to this day, even with train people training you who are meant to be training, because I just like the feeling of getting stronger and getting, yeah. you know, your the weights that you can lift up and do these lifts with getting bigger because you're getting stronger. And the older I get, the more impressed I feel with myself at keeping trying at that. No, I really and genuinely that. fun. But e even to the people in my life whose job is to just instruct you to do that better, I'm having up until the last week I have to have conversations with them where I have to say, no, I don't. They, you know, they'll be like, tell me what you ate today, and I'm like, well, one, that's not a nice conversation. Yeah. That's not a nice thing to ask someone. Yeah. And two, I don't want your opinion on my nutrition. I understand the nutritional value of things, and I don't want to. I don't want your life Absolutely. where I have to have meat and rice, yeah, and completely. porridge every fucking day. I'm not. Don't want to be that. I don't want to be an athlete enough to want to eat yeah. like that. No, to totally. It's like, yeah, I mean, two things. It's Well, first of all, I was thinking if, if someone, um, if I could have a sort of, if there was a sort of intuitive eating person who did exercise, that would be yeah. amazing because all the cliches are true about how good I feel after it. But also, yeah, like the feeling strong is such an obvious metaphor, but it does, it does make me feel like I'm, I'm able to protect myself somehow. It just yeah. feeling a bit stronger has made me feel amazing and my posture after writing the book was so so bad 
<laughs> that's how it started out as well as me just trying to fix my posture and then I would like I could feel myself going down the YouTube rabbit hole of, of like <laughs> yeah. oh and I'll do that Pilates tomorrow walls and, to sit on and yeah and um, standing so, desks and, yeah and all that but yeah the the I bought some weight it just I just yeah I think having like seeing progress is an amazing feeling and I was starting yeah. from you know kind of lifting up a pencil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I do. It makes me feel, um, yeah, like it's a like it's a sign of toughness. Like it's like it's a way of saying no one. I'm never going to be a victim again. That's how it makes yeah. me feel. Like I want to project something outwards about myself. If I had muscles, I would feel like people would not take advantage of me somehow. It's like it feels like that for me. Like I'm trying to project some sort of toughness. Yeah, and it doesn't. It's not really that doesn't work. But that's that's the the high I get from it. I do yeah. want to. I want to look tougher somehow to to match kind of what I've been through and yes, because it has given me this kind of emotional toughness going through all this stuff that's in the book. But yeah, I, I worry that it's so easy. It's so easily. Well, it's just another way to exploit our bodies and make money as well isn't it like yeah. protein shakes and blah blah it just feels like it's another part of the wellness industry making money but the benefit I guess that was my point is that the benefits are also really wonderful when you do totally. it like without from with, not from a place of self-loathing yes 100% if you're doing it because it brings you joy and yeah, if you can come at it from it. a place of functionality as opposed to aesthetics. Yeah, and I've noticed things like genuinely from trying to from doing squats in my living room, I can stand for longer. Yeah. And it's great. I can <laughs> like we're filming. I yeah. I sometimes you stand all day if you're unfortunately in a scene with not without any sitting. Um <laughs> if you've not managed to get in a bit really early on where you say to the director, should I sit at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Which is me every morning. So I'm going to say that and then lean back on this. And he's like, no, you're a ghost. You can't lean on things. Yeah, yeah. So I'll say that, oh, yeah. lie on the floor for the rest of the team. <laughs> but he's kind of, or, or even better, say that and then leave, yeah? yeah. And then I go and Get sit out. down in the green yeah. room. But he's cottoned on to that, I think. <laughs> I can stand longer now. i started exercising. Say scrum diddly umptious. And then you can be in my podcast. I had no idea that uh, we'd been through such a similar thing. Like, I think it's such a, it's, I don't meet many people, especially in our world. No. You know, I meet them in like sort of self-help groups. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't meet many people outside. It's funny though, because I think with binge eating, like, there's just so much shame attached to it. Mm. I don't, it's still quite rare that people will be, pop their hand up to it, really. It's just, um... <sighs> Um, but and it's also I feel like we're still learning so much about it that all this so complicated and recovery from it whilst also trying to be you know a good person in terms of body positivity proper body positivity and fat bias and just learning whilst learning about the world whilst also sort of being kind to yourself it's an epic task yeah absolutely um but yeah I I Oh, the book, you 100% got me. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's the most articulate description of binge eating in there and beautiful and brutal I've ever heard or read. That's really kind. It's amazing. Have you read any Janine Roth? Thank you. No, that's the other person you thanked, isn't it? As well as Susie Orbach. Because she, I was so inspired. I probably plagiarised her, but she, I mean, Mm. she's pretty out there. It's American. It's pretty, you know, it's quite Oprah-y. But yeah. um, it's not as academic, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say, as, as Susie. Yeah. But it's so, it's so, it's more like anecdotal, uh, anecdotal and incredibly gentle. And I think she's got one book that's called something like "When You Eat." It's like when you eat from the fridge, pull up a chair or something. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, just lovely. Like, if you're going to do it, mate, sit down, take your time, enjoy yeah. it. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. her book really, really helped me because it's so. Like she talks about, you know, just if you're nice, if you're just really, really incredibly kind to yourself, everything's fine. That's basically her thing. Yeah. And I, 
I need to listen. I've got like the audio book and I'll like put them on at night and I'll just feel so like everything's okay. Everything's okay. Yeah. But I'd re- I'd really recommend her. I think she's really articulate about Oh, I will look her up. She's not been on my list, which is just madness actually. I've got every other book. It's quite... It's- I've really liked... Um, I listen to the Food Psych podcast, not religiously, but that's really oh, good as well. There's a, she's um, she's a cat's an intuitive eating counsellor called Christy Harrison, and it's her podcast. That sounds amazing. She has a book coming out too, but I haven't read it yet. But it's all, you know, there's never not, and it's often in reaction, I think, to people who've commandeered intuitive eating to kind of basically repackage it and sell it as a diet. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow did a thing yeah, recently, didn't you? Of... Their intuitive fasting, it's like so unhelpful. But so there's constantly, you know, refreshed versions and theories on how best to deploy it <laughs> yeah, to be happy. But it, she, she talks to amazing people on that. It has been co-opted a bit, hasn't it? Um, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because when there's a way of explaining it to people where it sounds really simple and silly. Yeah. And then there's a way, I guess, like, Susie talks about it, which seems like the most radical, extraordinary thing you could ever do. And yeah. I sort of hate having to, not that anyone asks, uh, but I hate having to explain it to people. Like, I get really bored of it, actually. I get bored even with friends who, I don't know, even just conversations about, even last summer when Boris was on his kick to try and make everybody lose weight oh. and talking about calories on menus and stuff. And I felt like unless I was talking to someone you know, who was like balls deep in anorexia recovery and full of the right language yeah. and like could talk really articulately about how dangerous that is and etc. But I've, I felt like, why am I having a more rational conversation with somebody who's, you know, in recovery from yeah. hospital level anorexia yeah. than I am able to have with 90% of my yeah. closest female friends yeah. because they're like, well, we do need a really good obesity strategy. What else do you suggest? And you're like, yeah, hell. Oh, nothing actually. Perhaps we could all just let the world reopen, go back to our normal level of activity and see what happens to our bodies <laughs> rather than. Yeah, I agree. It's hell. It's, and actually, I can't, I still can't have those conversations usually without getting really emotional and sort of losing totally. it and then losing any argument I get into. <laughs> Mmm, delicious. Everything grey turns into sharks. A lot of pavements and roads turn shark. People and lorries getting eaten up in miserable Western Europe where we live. The sky turns into sharks a lot of the time. It rains sharks. It's like big slimy, fleshy, big toothed hailstone massacre. Luckily, uh, the grey things have all agree to turn back into themselves again, stop being sharks, but only if you, and weirdly it does have to be you, um be the only person ever who's been on this particularly terrifying roller coaster that goes on for nine hours. It sounds impossible, but you do it. You're a hero. Um, You spend nine hours on the roller coaster. All the grey things go back to being grey things and not sharks. Your reward is going down in history as the woman who saved us all from shark death, from the skies and beneath. But the reward in the moment is the feast of your dreams. (laughs) But it's the opposite of a last meal because... You're the happiest and the hungriest you've ever been. You've been on a roller coaster for nine fucking hours and you're happy because there isn't anyone in the universe who hasn't heard of you and doesn't think that you're a hero. You're basically like a a, a real life Jesus. So you couldn't be giddier and you're starving. What would you eat? <laughs> My brain was going in so many different directions preparing itself. I know, I'm I thought sorry. I felt guilty as I was reading it. No, this I thought one. the question was sure. going to be, how do you rid the world of sharks? No, no, no. It's just, what's your favourite thing to eat? <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, what's the, the best food to eat on the roller coaster about sharks? <laughs> no, I'm... This, the problem with the podcast having gone on for three years is that those, these end questions have got... We'll come full circle, I reckon. By about five years in, I'll just be saying, what would be your dream thing to eat if you were happy and hungry? (laughs) And I'd be saving so much time. The weird thing is, I think my last meal and my best meal are just the same anyway. Oh, fine, fine. Really? Well, when people have asked me that last meal question, I always think I'm trying to sound like I'm being too clever, but I would would ask, like, if I was there on death row and the guard said, what do you want? I'd be like champagne and and like dmt and just go out like that way in a sandwich yeah. or something but that's nice 
I'm really bad at this because I'm, I'm embarrassed at how sort of ordinary my food no, is. No, please. But also, it's the things that have come up over the years. It's linked to what we've talked about as well, actually, yes. in that the things I crave are the things that were banned to me from my childhood. So they're still yeah. like simple things that I am uh, in love with. Um, I'm never going to get a starter that's just too complicated my favorite honestly my favorite thing in the world to eat is like is pasta so oh, it would have to either be like sea it's like seafood linguine mm. or it'd have to be like a really really rich carbonara um tons of cream and all that yes it would have to be that um yum, yum. And my favourite dessert, again, it's, re it's really sort of sentimental, but like when my mum used to make apple crumble or apple pie Yum. with also homemade custard, that, that's it. That's like my dream food. It's Heaven. like... The classics, though. The classic things, that, that tangy apple with yeah. a creamy custard. Heaven. I've got really simple, like I'm not a foodie at all. I've got, because my parents didn't really cook, I just didn't have any sort of like food education. And so many of my mates are obsessed, you know, obsessed with food. And I am really, I can sort of tell the difference between a good meal and a bad meal, but I'm so grateful for someone just yeah. handing me a plate of hot food. And I'm, still now so grateful I get to eat <laughs> yeah. honestly like I'm just so and it's also that tension's still there so it's not like I'm 100% yeah. able to just enjoy food there's always going to be this little narration of what's going on yeah um but those are I'm still obsessed with those foods because I still can't I'm yeah. still chuffed that I get to eat them <laughs> Oh, they're really, you've picked three really delicious things. So, well, maybe that can be part of the fantasy. It's an absolute fantasy meal. So maybe it can be those things, but without any narration. Yeah, maybe like right. a huge ice cream sundae thing, because that oh, feels like the sort of thing fun. I would have had as a child, but not for, not for years. Um, yeah. But also, don't, I was obsessed, like donuts. But, well, my sort of trigger food is crunching up cornflakes. I can't okay. have that in the house. <laughs> Okay. That will be like a huge, I'll be reactivated. Okay. <laughs> that was, um, that was like a big binge food. So yeah. I got, I sort of made it dark when it was meant to be a, a pleasurable thing. No. <laughs> I'd have that as a starter, like crunching up cornflakes yeah. and then uh, yes. with full fat milk, of course, cold yeah. full fat milk. Yeah. Um, like when you go to hotels and, uh, and, uh, yeah, lots of pasta, white, proper pasta. Oh, I think brown pasta's a fucking abomination. That sort of, the rice, the rice stuff. I've got yeah. rice spaghetti. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it sounds delicious. What a clever, funny, gentle whiz Katie is. And what a joy it was to hoover with her, please. Her book, Delicacy, is, uh, I believe, if you're into this podcast, right up your strata. It is available to pre-order now, and it's out on the 15th, which is only a few days away. Get it in your basket, please. She's on Instagram, uh, really underscore Katie Wicks, Katie with a Y, and she's on Twitter, at WicksKatie. If you want to try Oddbox, you can get a tenner off your first box using a link in my podcast notes uh, or in a bio on the podcast Twitter. It's at the Hoovering Pod. It makes it only a few quid, so go for it, I reckon. Feel free to support the podcast with lovely reviews and recommendations or with cold hard money cash on Acast Supporter or on Patreon. You can follow me if you like, at Jessica Foster Q. I've got updated tour dates on my website. That's also where you can email me if you've got something longer than a tweet to send me, jessicafosterq.com. Huge thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast. Hoovering is produced by Emma Corsham and the music is by Mike Greenway. Until next week, happy hoovering. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.